This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for your personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in all aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are capitalizers and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I am your host, Christopher A. Paniotu, the Cap and Capitalize. And on today's episode, I will be taking you all through how the heck interest rates affect our daily lives, our investments, and your capitalized plan as a whole. To say that I've been getting a tremendous amount of nervousness around this topic is an understatement And it's worth diving into, especially in the interest rate environment that is currently staring us in the face. So with that, let's take a deep dive into how you can capitalize on interest rates rising or falling. When I was thinking about the best way to attack this topic, I thought it would be best to break it down by different investment types. Far too often, financial-minded people overly complicate this uh, with spinning you around and around with 50,000-foot nonsense that gives you next to zero direction, and the only thing it results in is padding their ratings. For those of you that have listened to me for some time, you know that I am all about breaking down massively complex problems piece by piece. So with that, let's start with the longer-term alternative investments and then work backwards in regards to the types of investments matched with the appropriate time horizons. At the end, I will tell you how this affects things economically as a whole, and then you will be all systems go in conquering the interest rate conversation. So let's start off with a fun one, real estate. Now, we all know there are a ton of different types of real estate investments out there. With every type of real estate investment comes a different sensitivity to interest rates, sort of. The first type of real estate investment that most people are wondering about is the single family home. When interest rates rise, what happens to the value of these homes? In and of itself, nothing happens to the home value, But if new potential buyers are looking to buy that same home, assuming they put a down payment on that home, that same home becomes more difficult to afford. Let's take a look at a home that has a made-up value of $500,000. If you put 20% down or 100 grand, that leaves you with a mortgage of $400,000. So far, it's pretty straightforward. But let's add the fact that this is a 30-year mortgage at a 2.99% interest rate. I use 2.99% coincidentally because that is what we were able to get uh, when we, meaning Stephanie and I, uh, got a new mortgage in 2020. And also due to uh, certain regulatory uh, requirements, we are not allowed to specifically state uh, what that 
is, but for those of you that have gone through with it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So assuming everything that I said was true, that means your mortgage was about $1,698 a month. So I did some digging and as I record this, the average 30-year mortgage interest rate today is sitting at about 5.75%. So if that is the case, that same home we mentioned earlier would cost about $2,357 a month. So to translate that for you, that's about $659 more per month in mortgage payments for the exact same home. And I didn't even include taxes. So let's keep going with this. Again, the home is still worth 500 grand, but now ask yourself, how many people can afford that home for the same price? Probably not as many. And over time, if fewer and fewer people can afford this home, there may come a point where nobody can afford that home at the same price. And if that's the case, what do you think is going to happen to the value of that home? You guessed it, it's going to go down in price. If you are trying to sell this home and nobody can afford it and you need this sucker sold, chances are most people will lower that price to get that liquidity under their belt. Because who doesn't want it, right? We want, we want to get this thing gone. We want it out of our lives. Now, do we know how low this home needs to come down in value? Nope. Nobody does. Is this normal? Absolutely. Values of virtually all long-term investments have ebbs and flows in price over time. But if they are managed appropriately, we hope for some price increases. For those of you that are looking to buy a home in the future, whether it be in the near or distant future, I want you to think of this. Go back to the example I gave you and ask yourself, would I rather have a mortgage of 400 grand at 2.99% with a monthly payment of $1,698? Or would I rather have a mortgage of $320,000 at 5.75% with a monthly payment of $1,885? Now, for those of you that are wondering where in the world I got part two of this analogy, let me explain. So let's pretend that nobody could afford that home for the original $500,000. So because of that, let's say the seller had to keep lowering and lowering the cost due to interest rates rising all the way down to a price of $400,000. That's a 20% decrease in value of the home. If we keep the down payment constant with the 20% before you'd only have to put down 80 grand versus 100. Now, sure, the monthly payment is a couple hundred dollars more per month, but this is where interest rates get extremely interesting. Interest rates are controlled by the Federal Reserve. Interest rates are an extremely powerful tool to utilize as the Fed uses this to either heat up the economy if it's slow or tone it down if it's red hot. Now, personally, I don't know why anyone would want to slow down an economy that is on absolute fire, but again, that's just me. But anyways, 
Back to the home analogy. I'm not sure we will be seeing 2020 interest rates anytime soon, but what if the Fed needed to heat things back up again and make these homes more affordable, meaning decrease the interest rate? And again, now due to regulation, I cannot say specifically what you would need to do in order to get a new mortgage on the home you already own. However, let's say you do that and you have a new 30-year mortgage, but instead of 5.75%, you can get it down to a 4% or even a 3.5% rate. Let's use 3.5%. That, that sounds much better. So that $320,000 mortgage would now be about $1,449 a month or nearly $400 less than your original mortgage. I want you to know that interest rates are definitely not this predictable, but we're not too far off. If you go on to home.treasury.gov, you can easily look up the history of interest rates and you will see over time the ebbs and flows are at times very substantial. I don't want to ramble on too much on the home side of things in regards to interest rates, but as always, I wanted to give you that sprinkle of information because I want to get you all to really think about how this will affect you capitalizing your real estate down the road. Your life doesn't depend on it, but it is pretty freaking close. One type of real estate investment that may not be affected as much by interest rates as single family homes are the infamous multifamily apartment investments. When interest rates rise, you now know that home prices become more unaffordable. Well, people still need a place to live, so if that's the case, it sounds like apartments are a pretty good spot to look into. As a quick side note, put aside the single family home for rent strategy as this can make it a bit muddy. So when interest rates are increasing, I understand that multifamily apartments are owned by somebody and chances are that somebody still has some size of a mortgage on that property. In a ton of ways, the same philosophy stands for multifamily apartments just as they stand for your home. However, given the fact that these renters are paying you income, you can essentially get paid to wait for that new interest rate moment to arrive. What's interesting is that when interest rates decrease, from my professional experience, apartments are not particularly affected. People still need a place to live, and last I checked, that's not going to change anytime soon. Now, don't think there are no risks to owning multifamily apartments, as there are many. But remember that I am solely discussing these investments in regards to how they relate to interest rates. If you're wanting to understand more about those risks, go back to my episode, Capitalize Your Long-Term Investments. But moving down the real estate list, Industrial warehouses are a hot topic ever since COVID graced our presence in 2020. Now, unless you live under a rock, you've realized that e-commerce is not going anywhere anytime soon. And as a result, the industrial warehouse sector benefited from that boom and continues to do so. 
These sort of walk and talk like multifamily apartments. However, the major difference is instead of families moving in and out, we're talking about businesses. Now, without diving down a rabbit hole, it's probably safe to say that most businesses make more than most people. Because of that, these industrial warehouses that are in many cases the center of these businesses taking place, well, they can charge more for rent, again, relatively speaking. With all things in the world of finance, you have to still make sure that you are not charging up the absolute wazoo for rent. But having said that, once you know what a reasonable rent charge is, there will be a business out there that's going to need your space. If you want a true deep dive into how these investments specifically work, go back and listen to my episode, Capitalize Your Real Estate with Jason Gandy from Sealy. That is an absolute winner. There are many other ways to invest in the world of real estate, such as self-storage, healthcare, office space, even hotels. These all move semi in tandem with the real estate mentioned previously in regards to interest rates. So I'm not going to take a deep dive into each of these, but what I want you to take away is that, again, generally speaking, interest rates rising aren't exactly stellar for real estate investments, but I wouldn't say that they're dream killers either. And this goes for when interest rates fall. If you ask any true real estate professional, you will quickly figure out that they would prefer if interest rates decreased forever as more homes could be afforded for the same price, same for apartments, warehouses, you name it, everyone would win. But unfortunately, the world of interest rates, it simply does not work out like that. But let's move on to something more unique, private equity. And, and for the sake of time and efficiency, I'm going to lump hedge funds into this mix and as a refresher, private equity is an investment where you're able to invest in a privately owned business versus a business publicly traded on the stock market. We'll get into this in a bit. With just about every business out there, debt naturally comes with the territory. And with debt comes, you guessed it, interest rates. Now, why is this valuable? Pretend you run a lemonade stand. You are rocking and rolling with this lemonade stand, and you are such a rock star that you want to open another lemonade stand. But the bummer is this. You don't have the hypothetical $40,000 to open up lemonade stand number two. And yes, this is a serious second lemonade stand we're talking about, people. Because of that, you need to go to your bank and get that $40,000 loan to open that next stand. And at this point, you know where I'm going with this. If interest rates are lower, this results in less cash flow going out to your debt, meaning you can reinvest more into your business or yourself and taking distributions and further expand and grow your lemonade empire. If, on the other hand, interest rates are higher, your cash flow will be squeezed. No, that is not a pun, which leads you to not as much ability to reinvest into yourself and stunted growth for you and your business. This in itself doesn't sound all that bad, as you could easily argue to just wait for the build out of lemonade stand number two, but most businesses don't work out that easily. 
Sometimes with highly volatile businesses, like a construction business, for example, you could go for months without any income. So you may need to tap into a loan or line of credit just to float you until the next big project is done. And that's in order to barely survive. So going back to private equity investments, which are nothing more than privately held businesses, which are generally smaller than those in the stock market, as well as hedge funds, which can invest in these smaller riskier businesses. As you can imagine, interest rates rising are not ideal for these types of investments overall. There are always exceptions to this, and I've actually seen it firsthand, but businesses would much rather prefer lower interest rates as opposed to higher ones. And speaking of exceptions, this is a great time to take a moment to give a shout out to today's episode's sponsor. Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you are at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, you're at the pinnacle of your career, you're winding down into retirement, or you're thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have me, Christopher A. Paniotu, the cap and capitalize in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. So let's move on to the stock market. This may come as a surprise, but the stock market is not that dissimilar from private equity, as all a stock is, is a business that can be bought and sold by the public. As I said earlier, generally speaking, these businesses are a bit larger than those that are privately owned. So with that size comes a little bit more flexibility in the affordability of loans in the event of interest rates rising. Now, just because these companies are larger and have a wider profit margin doesn't mean that you have the right to get lazy on yourself and tell yourself, oh, XYZ company, they can take out a ton more debt and be fine. This is where it gets mission critical when it comes to capitalizing your stocks. I have seen it too many times in my career where there is a perfectly fine company with a healthy profit margin. And next thing you know, one loan here, another loan there, that margin goes to nothing. Zero, zip, nada. And when that happens, the company is no different than someone living paycheck to paycheck. All it takes is one bad month and disaster strikes. That's pretty much it when it comes to the stock market and increasing interest rates. So when rates rise, Companies can't take out as much money for expansion or improvements. 
you name it. And when that happens, business is slow. And when business is slow, less money is made. Preferred stocks are a little more interesting. Now, remember that preferred stocks are not designed to increase in principle. They're simply designed to provide the investor, so you, the investor, with an income for that time being and then return the principal after that time has passed. There are rare exceptions where the income is variable, but most of the time, these are fixed rates. Now, this is where it's going to get really interesting. So let's say that you have two investment options, 3% or 6%. Which one would you take? Well, the answer is obvious. You'd much rather take the 6%. What if you were taking zero risk to get that 3%, but you have to take some risk to get that 6%? I think most of you would probably still take the 6%, all things considered equal. But now let's take it up a notch. Let's say that you have two options, 5% or 6%. Let's also say that the 5% is guaranteed and the 6% is not. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Let's take it one step further. What if the guaranteed rate was more than the rate where you had to take risk? Well, nobody would take that risk, which is exactly where preferreds become dicey when interest rates rise to the point where you could snag a CD that pays more than preferreds, that CD is guaranteed and the preferred is not. Now, in the past, I've seen companies try to move in tandem with providing more juice than these CDs or these interest rates that the government is providing. Uh or money markets, or even savings accounts for that nature. However, just like I've mentioned before, there simply comes a time where companies cannot continue to fork out gobs and gobs of money. If someone takes out a preferred stock investment today, and say three years in, interest rates rise, that really doesn't have an effect on you as the investor because if the company could pay the same rate three years ago, generally they'd be able to pay you the same rate in current day. Business grows, make more money, things of that nature. It's when the newly issued preferred stock comes out that you'd have to take a mission critical look into really the thought process of, can this company actually afford to do this? Now on the flip side, when interest rates decrease, these puppies can be beneficial, but let's move on to the shorter term or what the finance industry refers to as more conservative investments. So let's talk about bonds. Now, when I was researching this topic, I actually found an amazing summary of how bonds are affected by rising interest rates on PIMCO.com. And because of that, I thought it would be valuable to just read this verbatim. So here it goes. Quote, bond prices have an inverse relationship with interest rates. This means that when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. And when interest rates go down, bond prices go up. The reason, the price of a bond reflects the value of the income it delivers through its coupon, which is an interest payment. If prevailing interest rates, notably the rates on government bonds are falling, older bonds that offer higher interest rates become more valuable. The investor who holds these bonds can charge a premium to sell them in the secondary market. 
meaning back to someone else. Alternatively, if prevailing interest rates are increasing, older bonds become less valuable because their coupon payments are now lower than those of new bonds being offered in the market. So the price of these older bonds drop and they are described as trading at a discount. The risk posed by changing interest rates is called interest rate risk. So one point worth mentioning is the type bond you buy, that's gonna matter and is specifically the duration of that bond. So as a whole, the shorter the duration of a bond, so for example, one month versus 30 years, that's extreme, but you get my point, the less interest rates are going to affect the bond prices. So to sum up bonds, rising rates aren't great and falling rates bring smiles to bond investors' faces. Now, so far, rising interest rates have not rang wedding bells in your ears, but what about the short-term money in CDs or money markets and savings accounts? This is where light at the end of the tunnel, it could present itself. So let's start off with CDs. Uh, you know from listening in my episode, what are short-term investments and how do you pick them? CDs are bank and or credit union instruments that when you buy them, you know exactly what you're going to get. So if you buy a one-year CD at a 1% interest rate, that's what you're getting. If you buy a five-year CD at 2%, that's what you're getting and so on and so forth. Now, with interest rates rising, would it be useful to buy a CD? Great question. That is a phenomenal question. And the answer is, it depends. Now, obviously nobody can predict the future, but if we look back in time for a second, we can answer some pretty key questions. Throwing it back to the 1970s and then sprinting to 2020, interest rates for the most part have had a trajectory that has been, for all lack of terms, straight downhill in the ground. Back in the 70s and 80s, there were times where investors could buy a six-month CD and earn nearly 8%. Nowadays, in the early 2020s, th those times are long gone. However, if rates continue to rise like they are as I record this episode, think about this. Let's hypothetically say that if you lock in a five-year CD at roughly 3%, in itself, that fits my book as a short-term investment strategy. So if we don't think about the interest rates further rising variable, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to investing some of my short-term money into this vehicle. Now, what if you know that interest rates are going to rise in the near future? And again, we, we can't predict the future, but if everyone keeps saying it, the Federal Reserve comes out and says, hey, we are going to rise rates in the near future it can get you thinking. So my main question with all of that though, is this, do you risk holding off on this CD in the hopes that when rates rise, you're gonna result in an increased return rate in that same CD? And I don't know, I really don't. But what I do know is this, if interest rates get to where they were in the early 1980s, I'd be looking at some long-term CDs without a second guess. That's all I'm going to say about that one. Now, 
if you are waiting to hold off on CDs or you have your emergency fund all set and secure, chances are your money market account or savings account is going to benefit from rising rates. So with all major things in life, these rates take time to work their way into banks and credit unions. But for the purpose of the two vehicles I just mentioned, it doesn't really matter. The reason it doesn't is because these monies are simply stored for what? That's right, an emergency. So we want these to simply sit on the sidelines. But let's now put some actual numbers to it. Let's say that you have 10 grand in your emergency fund account, and that account is earning 0.5%. That isn't going to move your needle as that's going to result uh, at the end of the year in you earning a whopping $50. The prudent thing to do with this extra money would be to put it to some form of long-term use. However, that little interest rate is hardly putting a positive dent into anyone's net worth. Taking that same 10 grand, now let's say with interest rates rising, you're up to earning a hypothetical 4%, resulting in $400 a year. That is a huge difference. And this is where it's critical to know how the game changes when interest rates rise in regards to your savings and money market accounts. With all the negativity I spoke about earlier, this glimmer of hope can positively counteract the negatives I mentioned earlier. This ties into how interest rates affect the economy as a whole. So when rates rise, generally speaking, people want to move their money to savings, money markets, CDs. And the reason is psychologically, people see these rates increase and in their minds, it's an absolute no-brainer. But that's only partially true. What you know now is that, yes, this is, this is true, but that doesn't mean that you need to keep stacking money upon money upon money into your shorter-term investments. Once you have your cushion all set to go, by definition, you do not need any more cushion. So anything left over should be shifted to the longer-term investment options I spoke about earlier. The reason this is super key is because when most people are sprinting to the exits away from these longer-term investments as they slow down in productivity, which can generally lead to a decrease in price of these investments, that is exactly when you should be going against the grain. So think about it, all things being equal, if you have done your diligence on an investment and you think it's worth a hundred bucks and its price is $75 today, you would be ecstatic to buy it. But if prices drop to $50, and again, all things being equal, you should be even more thrilled. As the old saying goes, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. In a way, if you think about it, because you have enough cushion in your emergency fund and you're simply carving the interest rate off the top to invest for the future, you really aren't taking any gargantuan risk. It's these moments where you must be patient and you must be prudent. For when the ship's sail changes course back to the other direction, in a positive way, 
you will have a front row seat to the action when everyone else that sprinted for the exits are lining up to get any seat to the main event. The last strategy I want to talk about in regards to rising interest rates are annuities. So for retirees or people that are about to retire, this is where you can seriously shine. Earlier in 2022, uh, I was talking to my good friend, David Lau. You probably remember the name from when I had him on a while back uh, to talk about annuities and insurance as his company, uh, which he is the CEO of DPL Financial, specializes in these strategies. He also was the chief marketing officer of E-Trade way back in the day that basically made E-Trade E-Trade. So it's safe to say this guy knows the angles to playing uh, the world in the game of planning. So he said it best that when interest rates rise, annuities and the companies that provide them could have a positive impact in providing the benefits to investors. While doing some research on this really exciting topic, it's exciting for me, maybe not for you, but it's exciting for me. I found an amazing article on famagazine.com by Ben Matlin, who's a pretty awesome financial journalist. Highly recommend you guys give him a look. And he summarized how the relation to interest rates and annuities coexist. So here's what he found verbatim. And I'm just going to read this verbatim because I think it's really valuable stuff. Fixed annuities, which are insurance contracts that pay out a specific guaranteed rate, are most directly affected by interest rates. As rates rise, investors can get a better payout for that same premium, says Philip Chow, principal in Experiential Wealth in Cabin John, Maryland. Fixed index annuities, though, pay out a rate based on the performance of a market index, such as the S&P 500. Holders of these contracts benefit when the index rises, and there is usually a limit on losses if the index falls. But the amount of index gain that's credited to the fixed index annuity can fluctuate. If the insurance company's general account grows, the company can offer a higher cap rate, which is the percentage of index gains that are going to be credited to the fixed index annuities. An insurance company's general accounts are expected to grow as interest rates rise. Shoring up the balance sheet enables insurers to offer more attractive annuities, says Carl Wagner III, a partner at Biondo Investment Advisors in Milford, Pennsylvania. And as a quick side note, if I butcher any of these names, I totally apologize. Back to the quote. That's true. No matter what type of annuity you're talking about, Eric Henderson, President of Nationwide Annuities in Columbus, Ohio, puts it this way. Rising interest rates allow us to offer increasingly competitive products. At Lincoln Financial Group, the annuity provider headquartered in uh, Radnor, Pennsylvania, Chief Investment Officer Jason Bronchetti adds, the new money yields of our investment portfolio also increase, which is a positive contributor within the overall annuity rate setting process. In general, Variable annuities are most closely pinned to the equity markets. Traditional variable annuities hold contract assets in a mutual fund-like subaccount. 
if equity markets slump with rising rates, their performance is going to suffer too. End of quote. So if I were going to sum all of that up, it comes down to what type of annuity we are talking about. If you are talking about an annuity that has either a guarantee, like a fixed annuity, or a relatively accurate guarantee, a fixed index annuity, or an equity index annuity, increased interest rates are a plus. And these companies' general accounts grow during that period, which allows all of these companies to provide a bit more in the bells and whistles department, which generally leads to higher returns and or incomes for the investor, you, the investor. If you are talking about the variable annuities out there that are invested with within the long-term markets, keeping in line with the themes mentioned earlier, your sub-accounts, which is where you invest it, uh, probably aren't going to fare too well as opposed to the other options. Now, capitalizers, I could talk about this until the cows come home, but unfortunately, I am getting the signal from my team to bring it on home, and that means we are going to have to bring this episode to a close. If you want to learn about how you can capitalize on interest rates rising or falling and how that will specifically impact your situation, you know the drill. Give me a call at 253-214-3050 or shoot me an email at chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com. And to those of you that have gone online to capitalizebooks.com to order my book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent, I just wanted to say I sincerely appreciate the support and thank you for continuing to spread the capitalized word. As always, thank you all for tuning into this episode of Capitalize Your Finances, the podcast. And this is your host, Christopher Aponiotu, the Cap and Capitalize, signing off until next episode. Until then, keep capitalizing. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. To the extent that this material contains tax matters, it is not intended or written to be used and cannot be used by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding penalties that may be imposed by law. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy will be profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in a loss of principal. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from Capitalize Your Finances or from any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material is gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Examples cited or hypothetical are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or illustrated. This material should not be considered a solicitation of an offer to sell or buy any specific security or offering. Investors should consult a financial professional to determine whether risks associated with an investment in the shares are compatible with their investment objectives. There are two types of equity, common stock and preferred stock. Preferred stockholders have a higher claim to dividends or asset distribution than common stockholders. Preferred stocks are sensitive to interest rates. The share price generally falls as prevailing rates increase. Other risks include perpetual life or very long maturity, a call feature, low credit standing, deferrable dividends, and for traditional preferred stocks, depressed yield due to demand from corporations that receive favorable tax treatment. The details of each preferred stock depend on the issue.
CDs are FDIC insured up to $250,000 per depositor per insured bank for each account ownership category. Money market mutual funds, though traditionally lacking federal insurance and not without risk, are highly regulated under federal law. Before investing, carefully consider a mutual fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. To obtain a prospectus or summary prospectus which contains this and other information, call your financial advisor. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. It is important to keep in mind that investments in fixed income products are subject to liquidity or market risk, interest rate risk, bonds ordinarily decline in price when interest rates rise and rise in price when interest rates fall, financial or credit risk, inflation or purchasing power risk, and special tax liabilities. Interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government but are subject to inflation risk. Equity index annuities and variable annuities discussed are considered complex investment products. They contain unique features, risks, terms, conditions, fees, charges, and expenses. S&P 500 index is an unmanaged index and includes a representative sample of large-cap U.S. companies in leading industries. An investment may not be made directly in an index. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. David Lau and any other person mentioned are not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial.